Today we're going to start our time in God's Word a little bit differently. Uh, we're going to start with a testimony. I'm going to ask John Jackson to come forward. John is going to share with us some of the things that are going on in his life and what he has seen God doing in the midst of that. John, thanks. I was told two things, by, one by my wife and one by my daughter. Katie said, be upbeat. <laughs> Smile. And my daughter said, Dad, please don't cry. <laughs> so. It's unbelievable. Because <laughs> it's all good news. Um, in 2010, Lunch with. You're going to have to hang in there. With a very good friend of mine, probably someone who's helped me more in my Christian walk than anybody else. And he asked me how things were going. And I said, I mean, my, my relationship with my wife is awesome. Uh, my family, my health. But financially, I was really struggling. And I told him that it was like I was standing in the middle of the street. And I looked up. This huge wave was coming down. And there was nothing I could do. I couldn't run. I couldn't hide. I didn't plan to cry this early. So <laughs> I couldn't run or hide. It was going to come down. And it did. It came down. And uh, <clears throat> my wife and I, we had lost our house. Uh, all the money we invested in it. Uh, foolishly, we used all of our savings in an attempt to hold on to it. My, my wife's father and mother have been going through significant health problems that has required us to spend a lot of time to carry and, and time with them. And in the past 14 months, we've had to move four different times to kind of downsize to make things meet. During that time, uh, there was stress, anxious thoughts, Hundreds of questions going around in our heads. We felt guilt, uh, ashamed, and a total lack of control over this particular situation. All the while working hard, but still uh, not enough to keep things going. And so what Katie and I did is what we did all the time. We would spend a lot of time praying together encouraging each other with what we knew for certain about our Savior. We knew that he would never leave us with our savings. And even though he may not, we may have not sensed his presence, we knew he was there. And we knew that all this was going to work together for good, for our good, and for the glory of his name. And we knew we were sinners, and so that some of this was probably discipline, but even that encouraged us because he only disciplines those whom he loves. Um, I can honestly say that Katie and I see pretty clearly that for a Christian, you can be perplexed, but not in despair. You can, you can be pressed down, but not crushed. And financially, we have been struck down but not destroyed. Um, some of you, and I know, have gone through harder times or worse. But I want to encourage you to run to Jesus Christ. See Him as your, as your city of refuge. See Him as your high tower. See Him alone as your hope and your confidence. Because He is true and faithful. 
So that wave, it did come down, but really when I really look at it, it really only swept away things that are not going to last forever anyway. But what has lasted and is getting stronger is a, is a confidence in Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> let me end with this. In 1977, this is good news. <laughs> Katie and I, we're boyfriend and girlfriend. We weren't married at the time. But we both knew something was missing in our life. And so a friend of ours invited us to church. And we went, and it was in the old Park Theater. Right by there now, you'd never know that that was a thriving church at that time. And so we got there late, and it was packed. We were sitting, we had a seat in the lobby. And an usher came up and said, Hey, you two, come here. <laughs> I said, Okay. So we got up, we took us out in the middle of the auditorium, and we sat down. And the pastor was preaching out of Romans chapter 3. I don't paraphrase this, but what we heard he was basically saying, I'm John Katie, your record is lacking. The resume you're using to try to get to heaven and let me into my heaven falls way short. You're a sinner. And you've come way short of the glory of God. And it was true, we knew that. And then he said, But the good news for you is that there has been a righteousness revealed from God. And that if you would take your worthless, sinful record and give it to Him and let His blood shed, you, shed on you, He would give you His perfect, holy, righteous life. What a deal. At the end, he said, everyone closed their eyes, and he said, uh, how many of you know you're a sinner and you're in need of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. So. Katie and I raised our hand. We didn't know what we did, but we knew we were a sinner, and we knew to save her. It's the best decision we ever made. Ever since then, he has only proved to Katie and I that he is who he says he is. He is more than willing and able to keep us through hard times until that day. And one last thing. I don't believe everyone here is a Christian, but you're not here by chance. Don't leave today without knowing that Jesus loves you. He died for you. Jesus loves you. He was buried for you. He loves you enough because he rose again from the dead. And the good news is, he loves you so much, he's coming back to get you. Believe it, because it's true.
All you have to do is believe. That's all you have to do. Uh, let's pray together before we, before we go. Father, thank you for the testimony of a life that has been through real suffering and is still holding on with great strength. And Jesus, would you please touch each one of us? Would you give us that clear sense that you are here? And Lord, if there are, for those who are here and they haven't put their faith in you, Jesus, would you prompt them, remind them of how much they need you, not because they need you because they're human. They need you because we all need you. And if you're here and you want to receive Jesus, just pray along with me. Pray these words and I'm going to pray now. Jesus, I know I am not perfect. Jesus, I know that you are a Savior. And I confess my sins to you. And I humbly bow and commit to following you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for suffering. So you know what it's like. You know exactly what it's like. Because you've experienced not only my suffering, but infinitely worse. Thank you for taking my sins on the cross and rising again to show me that there is an answer. There is a way through my sin and my suffering. I trust you now and commit to you. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time, come and talk to me after the service. You can talk to John, who's one of our elders. Um, talk to the person that brought you. Uh, we'd love to help you to know what it means to walk with Jesus and have a relationship with God. We're now going to turn Although it's not going to turn far. Um, the reason I asked John to share today is because I think he and Katie have been a living embodiment of what we're going to look at today in 2 Timothy. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, the scripture we'll be looking at is printed in the bulletin on page on the inside back cover. Uh, we're going to be focused just on the second part of verse 12. That's all we'll be looking at today. But we've got verses 8 through 12 printed in the bulletin so that we can see the context of where we've been. And so I'm going to read 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 12. Friends, listen. This is God's word. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is God's word. So friends, suffering causes questions. Doesn't it? Suffering, when we suffer, it forces us, it forces us to ask questions that aren't normally uh, on our minds. And the questions that we ask are normal. When we're suffering, we tend to ask, why did this happen? Why am I suffering? Where is God? Why does God care? Right? These questions are us trying to make sense of what we think is true in light of what we're experiencing. Okay, we have the sense of the way that the world should be. And yet our experience is different, and that prompts the questions. These questions challenge our ideas about how the world works. They challenge our ideas of what's really important. And they challenge our ideas of how to be happy. Okay, everyone lives by a set of answers to the following questions. Okay, these questions, everyone has answers to these. They're not all the same answers, but everybody lives by a set of answers to questions like these. 
What are we as human beings? What is life for? Is there a God, and what is God like? And then what's wrong with the world? Everyone lives by their answers to these questions, some more intentionally, consciously than others. Uh, and the answers that we have can vary, very, uh, very, really widely. Um, and our answers, whatever they are, the answers that we have to these questions, they help us understand the world. They help us understand our place in the world. And the answers, these are answers that we come back to when we're trying to make sense of our life and our experiences, okay? They're like a bank account, or, or they're like a safe deposit box. We store these things, they're incredibly valuable uh, because they are the answers to life's most important questions. Some people call this bank account a worldview. Okay, there's a phrase worldview that's used a lot. It's really sort of this, it's this bank account that has our answers to the biggest questions. Now suffering shakes us because suffering causes us to have to make a withdrawal from this bank. Okay? Suffering forces us back to these questions and it, 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 it questions our answers. Okay? And so first blank on your, uh, on your, on your handline there under the survey notes is this. Suffering sends us to the bank to check our balance. Okay? Suffering sends us to the bank to check our balance. Because typically we don't even concern ourselves with the balance of this particular bank account. We're typically not even thinking about the answers that we have to these life most important questions. Um, the balance that's in our bank account, it's the quality of our answers to these questions and their ability to actually pay off when life falls apart. Okay? When things go wrong, when suffering hits, we go back to these answers and see if they're satisfied. Okay? And so... Um, typically we don't even think about these, these questions unless one of two things happens. These are the two things that happen that force us to check our balance. One, when we sense that our balance is low. Okay, this means that we feel like our answers aren't able to explain the things that are going on in our lives. Right? Something happens and you're like, I don't have a category for this. This doesn't make sense. This shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to be this way. Those things cause us to feel like the balance in our worldview account is dangerously low. Or something significant, a significant withdrawal happens. Okay? You might have a really sizable bank account, but anytime you see a charge to your account in the thousands, for instance, you're going to stop and think, wait a second, what was that? Right? And so when there's a significant withdrawal that takes place, this means something happens to us that's radically unexpected or it's personal, and our answers don't feel as strong as we thought. They were. Okay? And so this is what happens in suffering. The reason you feel like when you suffer, the ground is shifting beneath you, um, like the world is out of control, it's because your answers are not sufficient. Okay? It's because uh, your, your, the, the answers that you have, like, you don't, have, don't quite fit what you're experiencing. And so the way that you make sense of the world, the way that you understand the world is supposed to be, it is shifting underneath you, and that's why things can feel so out of control. It's because we don't have, it's because we don't have answers to include what we're experiencing. So I want to give you just one tragic example that happened just this last week. Okay? This is Lauren Scott. Um, she's a famous designer, and I read this article about her this week it says to look at her carefully curated Instagram feed, right? So if you're going to look at her social media presence, um, designer Lorenz Scott was a one percenter. She was a gold-plated member of the international elite. There she was on vacation in India with boyfriend Mick Jagger. At his retreat on the island of Mystique, about to board a chartered helicopter, lounging poolside in gold jewelry and designer sunglasses, stretched out on a private plane, using her $5,000 Louis Vuitton handbag as a footrest. She said this, I always say luxury is a state of mind. Because for me, it really is. It's labor. It's a beautiful view. It's great food at a great restaurant you've just discovered because you obsessively read Zodiac, as I do. Well, then last Monday, she committed suicide hanging herself 
in a $5.6 million Chelsea apartment in New York. Within hours, Scott's life was revealed to have become an elaborate facade. Her business, at least $6 million in debt, her fashion world friends and celebrity clientele were unaware of her despair. One stylist said this, ironically last week, I said to three different people, I wish I had her life. Look at her life, she's always somewhere fabulous and fancy. You think, here's someone who has it all. You just never know. <clears throat> a longtime publicist who met Scott several times said this, I actually see this a lot. You come here, you change your name, and you want to be fabulous, and you get caught up. She was turning 50, her business was closing, and she's friends with celebrities, but she can't go to them for help. People come to New York City and want to be a part of a certain clique, and they think they are, but it often catches up with them. This life is in a city where you can go to the rock show and play or watch the fashion runway at Lincoln Center, and just about everyone on that stage is barely making ends meet, even though they look like they have it all and more. Intentionally or not, Lorenz Scott's suicide laid bare the unglamorous truth about her life and the world that she so tenuously inhabited. In the midst of all the air kisses are a lot of relationships that are extremely superficial, and a lot of people don't have the emotional support to back them up. Friends, this is a story of a tragedy, someone who, whose balance got so low that for her there were no answers and life wasn't worth going on. How are you doing today? Right? How is your balance? You feel like you have answers? This is why we're in this series. Right? In the series on suffering, we've been seeing how the Apostle Paul dealt with suffering. How he went back and checked his balance. And Paul's teaching us where we can find strength from Jesus in our suffering. And so he's actually giving us the answers that made him go from being in a prison where he was waiting either for his head to get chopped off or for him to be drowned in the toilet water of Rome. He went from that situation to write this letter. Like this letter where he is in this very prison waiting for one of these two consequences in his life. Right? He's waiting for this to happen, and the letter that he writes is celebration. He's able to celebrate God. He's able to celebrate people. And so we're learning from him. And so what have we seen so far? Just as a review, we've seen first the invitation that we're to expect suffering. It's normal. If you're going to follow Jesus, one of the things that you should expect is that you're going to suffer. And the Bible gets very real and honest about how difficult life is. Like Christians should not shy away from suffering shouldn't act like they have it all together when they don't. And then second, we've seen the gospel, that Jesus' work gives strength in suffering. Right? His victory abolishes death and brings a new strength in life that is a foretaste of the perfect life that is in store for us in the future. And then last week, we saw purpose. We saw that suffering actually shows Jesus' death and resurrection. Right? We give suffering a purpose when we decide that our suffering is a picture of his death and our strength in suffering to endure it and to honor God shows a picture of his resurrection. Okay, so this is what we've seen so far. This is what we've seen so far. This is a window. And so what we see in verse 12, as Paul says this, he says, in the midst of all this suffering, this is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed. Paul says, I am not ashamed of my suffering. I am not ashamed of where I am. And so this is a window into Paul's heart. This is Paul opening up his heart and teaching Timothy and then through God's spirit to us. He is showing us what kept him going and how he went back and when he went back to check his balance, what he found. 
And so for us, if we're going to follow Paul, when we suffer and we go back and check our balance, the first thing that we see when we check our balance is we see our maker. First thing we see is that we see our maker. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because I know whom I have believed. He says, in the midst of this suffering, when I begin to wonder and I begin to ask the why questions and the what the heck's going on question and the, man, what happened and how did I get here and what should I do and what, all these things. When God goes back to check the answers, he goes back to the bank. He sees his banker. He sees his banker. His banker is Jesus Christ. That when Paul is suffering and wondering why, when Paul walks through the door to check his balance, Jesus is standing there waiting for him. Jesus is there. And depending on what we need, will determine the look on his face. Right? There are times when we walk in and Jesus' face is just crushed and he's weeping for us. And he's so glad that we're asking these questions again. He's so glad that we've come back because he wants to be with us. He wants us to know how much he cares. And so there are times when Jesus is just weeping as we walk through the door with his arms outstretched as we walk into his arms and he gives us a hug, we can see his nail-scarred hands as he wraps himself around us. Paul says, I'm not ashamed because I know him. I know him. I don't just know about Jesus. I don't just know what Jesus did, but I know him. I know him. And when I walk in with the pain of the whip lashes on my back, I remember and I'm careful not to squeeze his back too hard. He knows exactly what I've been through. He knows exactly how it feels. Everything that has caused me to come back to the bank and check my balance. Right? Everything that's caused me to question everything about God and about me and about the world, I've come back here and I realize what I'm experiencing is exactly what he has experienced. Friends, this is Jesus. This is God. You want to know what God is like? God is, the invisible God has revealed himself as Jesus so that you can know what he is like in flesh and blood. I don't know what you think about when you think about God, but what the Bible would encourage you to do is to see Jesus. Is to see Jesus who cares and who has gone through hell literally and he did it for me. He did it for you. Last week we sang a hymn, So Send I You, and the author, um, I don't know if you remember this, but whenever I see something that seems so profoundly to touch reality, I think, wow, I wonder what she's gone through. I wonder what that author has gone through to write something so profound. And sure enough, Margaret Clarkson, who's the author of this hymn, um, she had, in her life, was fraught with suffering. She wrote this. Uh, this is a poem just about her experience. She said this, I do not know tomorrow's way, if dark or bright its hour may be. But I know Christ, and come what may, I know that he abides I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. John and Katie don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But they know Christ. And come what may, I know that he lies with me. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not ashamed because I know who I have believed. 
Hillfield. Margaret Clarkson, here's another stanza. I do not know what made the fall of grief or gladness, peace or pain, but I know Christ, and through it all, I know his presence will sustain. When you know Jesus, when you can say that you know him, his presence gives you strength. This is the one thing that you can know. And the way to know him is to know what he did. I still remember a conversation I had with a neighbor, and we were talking. Um, he is a, he's culturally Jewish, but doesn't believe in God at all. And, uh, and we were talking, and he was explaining some of his background, religion, you know, spiritual background. And, um, and I just said, well, since I've come to know God, this is how I've experienced He's like, wait, hold on, wait, what did you say? You know God? Said, yeah. He's um, like, doesn't that seem a little bit arrogant? And I said, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it was, well, I said, yeah, it's, I guess it sounds that way. And I guess it would be arrogant if I were going to tell you what a great person I am. That's why I know him. But, but the reason that I know God has nothing to do with me and everything to do with him. The reason I know him is because he's revealed himself in Jesus. Because he has told me what he's like by coming into the world and living a life where he embraced everyone, no matter who they were, no matter what they dealt with. He was got a reputation for identifying with all of the wrong kinds of people because to them they weren't the wrong kinds of people. Are you with me? And so because of that, I'm one of those people. <laughs> I'm one of those people that should not be uh, associated with him. But because of him, because he has gotten to know me, I have gotten to know him. And whether you feel personally connected to Jesus or not, there is something you can know. You can know that he loves you. You can know that he came, that he lived. In his life, he came with, with, with one thing on his to-do list. One thing that was to die for the sins of the world. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly who I am. He knows the best and the worst of us. And he came to die so that we could be free. So that we could know a truly unconditional love. Do you know? amazing is it? How amazing would it be if when suffering hits and you had to go back and start asking these questions, if you could go to Jesus and have him say, yes, I understand. Yes, I've suffered too. Like, I really did. I've had, a, I've had conversations with people where when I begin to try to help them to see, they, they talk about how much they're suffering and how frustrating life is and things like all kinds of things, whether it's relationships, whether it's family, whether it's work issues, whether I mean, no matter what it is. And um, I begin to try to explain to them that you know, Jesus has suffered too. Like, do you realize, if you thought about how Jesus' suffering affects your suffering, and invariably the response that I sometimes will get is uh, people will go, yeah, you're right, okay, he suffered a lot worse, so I should just buck up. I'm like, no, 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 stop. That's not how Jesus' suffering applies to your suffering. Jesus doesn't suffer so that when you're suffering and you're frustrated, he'll tell you, hey, shut up, you quit complaining, because look what I've been through. That's not Jesus. Jesus suffered so that he could look you in the eye when you're suffering, and with tears brimming in his eyes, say, I know what you want. I understand what you're this is part of this is the gospel. This is the good news that you're not alone. You're not, are you just not alone? But that God Himself understands and is with you. And so Jesus, Jesus is our banker. And when we see our banker, it makes all the difference.
second thing that we see is we see our balance. We see our balance. Paul says, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. I'm convinced. Right? This is what Paul knows for sure. I know Jesus, and I'm convinced that he can guard until that day. That day is the last day. That day is the final day when all suffering is over, when life as we know it, it's fraught with sin and suffering, ends, and we get we, we stand before God. Okay? On that day, right, Paul knows that God is able to guard until that day what's been entrusted to him. Now, we need to talk a little about this last phrase, what has been entrusted to me. Um, that phrase in the Greek actually is simply my deposit. Okay, so if you were to put a bracket around what has been entrusted to me, uh, you could write across that phrase, my deposit. Okay, so Paul is convinced that God is able to guard until that day my deposit. That's what he's saying. Um, and what happens is the scholars kind of argue over, okay, well, so what does my deposit mean? Does this mean the deposit that God has given to Paul? Or is this the deposit that Paul has given to God? Okay? Now, in this verse, this translation says it's the deposit that God has given to him. And they talk about it's Paul's, uh, it's, it's the gospel, it's Paul's calling. But I don't think that's actually what Paul is saying here. Okay? Um, I think that what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm convinced that God is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. So it's my deposit. And the biggest reason I think this is because at the beginning of this sentence, Paul talks about how he's not ashamed. He's not ashamed. What Paul is saying here, Paul is saying, look, I have given God my life. Okay? I have put all of my eggs in God's basket. I've gone all in on God. Okay? I've put my entire balance, the balance of my life, um, into God's bank. Okay? And, it's, and as far as Paul's concerned, it's not just FDIC insured up to $100,000. Okay? Uh, Paul is convinced that God is able to guard his life and to care for him all the way up until the final day. Okay? If you want to argue with me about this, I'm happy to have a discussion. Um, let's talk about it afterwards, but if that's what Paul is saying, and, and the Greek can go either direction, um, it's really up to interpretation, but I just I think that the context tells us that this is Paul sharing his personal testimony. He's saying to Timothy, remember, look, I'm suffering. Do you want to know how I'm dealing with this? Do you want to know how it is that I can celebrate? It's because I know I have put my life in God's hands, and I am convinced that God is going to guard me until the final day. Okay. That's what Paul is saying. That's what Paul has. He has this conviction. He has this peace. It's the peace that John shared with us earlier today. No matter what happens, I mean, it's amazing. And John's king struggles have been so wrapped up in finances, right? And yet John has continued to go back and check his balance, and he realizes that while all these other things are being swept away from his life. His balance, his balance is untouched because it is in heaven with Christ. And so this life can do anything. This life can take away your stuff. This life can take away relationships. This life can do anything and everything. But what John said, I mean, did you hear what he said? He said, what we've realized is this wave that hit us has simply washed away those things that ultimately won't matter. So, Paul is convinced, John is convinced that God can handle this, that he is going to see me through. And that ultimately, even if my path leads to death. 
then I know it will lead to the resurrection. Right? Because again, the God, the God that is your banker is the one who died and rose again. Right? So if trusting God leads you to death, if trusting God leads you to suffer, well, the one who has you in the palm of his hands is the one who has suffered and has made sure that there is a, a limit to your suffering. And he's actually gone into suffering and come out the other side. And that in his resurrection, in his resurrection, he'd be confident that if he was raised from the dead, so he will carry you through death into a life that can never again be touched by suffering. That's the confidence that Paul had. Now, when you have that confidence, when you realize that your balance is undiminished, that nothing can change your balance, right? Because God is holding on to it. He can't take it out of his hand. That changes the way you think about life, okay? Let me show you what I mean. I saw this this week on Facebook. This is your plan, right? Here you are, you're on a bike, you're on the road to the finish line. Here's God's plan. <laughs> right? And this took a visual on what we think about our life. And when I saw this, I kind of chuckled. I was like, oh, hey, you know, the guy's like floating through the river. And he's like, how's he going to get up there? And I said, I don't know. Looks like he fell off the bridge. You know, and I was kind of chuckling. But then I kind of thought, this is kind of messed up. Right? Because this doesn't answer the why question. Right? And why does God do this? I mean, I guess we all understand that this is what he does, but why? And I don't think this diagram gives us any sense of why. But then it hit me. It hit me. Our plan is to ride through life at an easy pace where nothing challenging ever happens. Isn't it? When you think about what you want for your life, you want an easy road. And with our plan, at the end of our life, we are weak and we are untested. We haven't accomplished anything worthwhile. We don't know how serious our commitments were, and we never learned what our true potential was. But God wants so much more from us than that. With God's plan, at the end of our life, I mean, think about it, at the end of this life, right? What's this person like? Right? This person's like a Navy SEAL. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Right at the end of our life, according to God's plan, we are strong, we are tested, and we are proven. We have accomplished great things. Our faith has conquered suffering and struggle. We have been through hell and been through it, coming out the other side. We've truly blessed people by our actions and by our example. And we've demonstrated by our life that God is worth serving, even in suffering. God isn't mean to give us these obstacles. He knows that these obstacles are precisely what enables us to be the greatest human beings we can be. God puts these obstacles in our lives because he knows that these are what enable our lives to have the greatest impact. So sign me up for God's plan, suffering at all. Can you say that today? Sign me up for this. Someone in our life group a couple weeks ago said this. I pray to God, make me like you, and then he sends suffering in my life. And I realize that I become like him most through suffering. And if this is it, it sucks but I'm willing to do it. I'm all for it. There's another perspective on this. One of my neighbors. This is on our fridge. I love this. Can you, can you read this? Can you read this in the back? Todd, can you see this? No, no, no. All right, here you go. Because um, it looks so cool. Because it's like kind of torn. Look at the magnet. It's all beat up. And this is life, right? It's creased and wrinkled. It's not. It's why I kind of like this. <laughs> um, okay, let me read this to you. Um, 
It says this, life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a well-preserved and pretty body. But rather, life is made to skin in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. Can I get an amen, Barbara? Come on, right? I mean, this is what God wants to do with our lives, okay? Because when we see our banker, when we see our balance, then we become, third point, bank tellers. I know before that I had this image of Jesus standing at the door, and so you don't really need a bank teller in that image, so but just go with me, okay? <laughs> Paul is telling Timothy his personal story Right? Paul isn't giving Timothy abstract theological ideas. Paul is saying, Timothy, do you want to know what's going on inside me while I'm suffering? Here's why I'm not ashamed. Because I know Jesus, and I know that he can guard my deposit. So what has Paul done? Paul has become a bank teller. Paul has become someone who is in the bank saying, yes, you can trust him. Yes, your, your balance is safe. Here. Friends, that is what God is offering to us. He's offering this to us. He's giving us the chance when we, when we know Jesus and walk with him, when we remember that he is in control and that he is caring for us. And that gives us a strength in the midst of our suffering. It helps us embrace our suffering with a purpose. Right? It redeems our suffering. And then we become people who can help others. Your story begins to encourage others. Right? How many of you were encouraged by what John had to share? How many of you want to go through what John had to share? Right? How many of you are thankful that John has gone through this? Right? I mean, yeah, I get it. Not thankful. There have been times, well, there have been times in my life where I pray, God, I haven't suffered at all. Come on, I want to suffer so that I can be used by you. Um, after the sermon last Sunday, Lainey came up to me and said, Stephen, how much longer are you going to be preaching on suffering? Because <laughs> I'm done with this. I'm done with this. We've got all these issues that have come up in our lives. And it's like, oh yeah, that's right. This is what happens. So if you have, if the suffering level has gone up in your life as we've started this series, it's because God wants to give you a chance to put his word into practice. God wants to give you a chance to realize that he can be there with you in the midst of your suffering. And that's where suffering literally can become good news. It's not that we would ever ask to suffer. It's not that we ever want to suffer, but if God puts suffering in our lives, or if other people put suffering in our lives. But sometimes it's not God. Sometimes it's people, right? Sometimes it's us. We've got to admit that. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's others' fault. Sometimes it's God's fault. But whenever it happens, and we get this ability to now walk with Jesus in our suffering. And when we do that, and he is enough, when his grace is enough, when we realize, oh my goodness, I'm going through this and I'm not dead. Oh my goodness, I'm going through this and... I feel like I understand Jesus a little bit better than I did before because he knows what this is like. Right? Jesus has comforted me. Or when I realize, wow, like the friends that I've had have come alongside me and they have comforted me and prayed with me and just been with me. You know, no one has answers and yet I'm not alone. And when you get out of that is what it means to grow in strength. And when that happens, you've got something to share. You've got something that other people need to hear. Because all of us suffer, but not all of us have someone like Jesus who can meet us in our Let's go to God. Let's go to Him together. Let's ask Him to make us the kind of people, the kind of people who can receive this from Him, and then who can share with others. Thank you.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you that when we, when we are honest about our suffering, when we're honest about the things that are so difficult for us, that we can come to you and you know, thank you that you have experienced suffering so that you can end it for us. Thank you for bringing comfort to us that we know that you know how we feel. Jesus, I pray that every one of us right now in this room, that we would be able to surrender to you. We have been saddened by our suffering. We've been angry by our suffering. We struggle in the midst of our suffering, asking all kinds of questions. And Jesus, we want you to help us to surrender. We know you've been through it and worse and done it for us to show us the way. We thank you that there are people in our church, leaders in our church, who are suffering and also show us what this looks like in the year and now. And we thank you for your word, for the Bible, that it is so honest about suffering and it gives us answers that can fill our balance. To speak to these things. Thank you for purpose. That you want to make us strong. That you want to make us tested. That you want to offer us and our lives as hope for others. And so we surrender. We just we ask Jesus that you would do your will in our lives. Use us and give us your purpose. So that as we suffer, we can become those who tell others. We can become those who say, yes, we're suffering, but that's not the whole story. Because you have become real to us. And Jesus, for those who are beginning a relationship with you, help them to see that the cross and the resurrection is the symbol of the greatest love that you could show. Draw us close. This week, remind us Help us to walk with this reality. That we would see the world differently because you have not just set before us a life that includes suffering, but you are with us in the suffering. And we pray this in your name.